Hear God's word for us today. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led there by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up on a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels charge concerning you to guard you carefully. They will, lift up you, they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all of this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. May God add his blessing to that reading. Please, you can be seated. Well, we have begun what is called the Lenten season. And as we do that, we're launching into a new series that I've chosen to call Seven Words Can Change Your Life. Now, on Wednesday night, if you've been around these parts, we've been talking about our around-the-table experience. And on Wednesday nights, we're talking about seven words of Jesus from the cross. But during these weeks on Sunday morning, I want to go in a little different direction as we head to Easter Sunday. The truth is, as human beings, let's face it, we really care about our space I think about Russia and what is going on in Eastern Europe right now. As you probably know, Russia is the largest country in the world, and it's not even close. But there they are invading a nation the size of Texas, largely in part because of empire. They care about space. They want more space. It was once their space, they argue, and they want it back. But you know, that happens on a global level, but I want you to know that it also happens in an interpersonal way. I found it interesting, I was reading this week in the Journal of Applied Psychology, somebody had studied hundreds of drivers. And what they found is, is that we take longer at a parking space if we know someone is waiting for it than we would if nobody was waiting at all you awful people. <laughs> There's something inside of us that says, this is my space. We'll make ourselves wait longer just to keep somebody else from getting there faster. And so if, if they're in a hurry, they've got kids to pick up, or they're late for an appointment, and they give a little honk to get us moving, we make them wait four times longer than otherwise. That's the human condition. In fact, this is such a common human instinct, it has its own name, territorialism. It happens in other arenas too. 
Studies show if you're at a restaurant, the longer the line of people waiting to get in and get a table, the more people in the restaurant, the longer people will linger at their table. My space. I want to keep my space. I don't want to make space for you. Now let me ask you something. Could it be that we do the same thing with God? Do you make space for him? We have so much going on. My goodness, we cram our lives full. And boy, I've noticed in the last few weeks how much busier we have become as we get out of this pandemic. I, I don't have time to immerse myself in the Bible. I, I don't have time to, to spend to, to pray and reflect and think about the character I'm becoming we don't make space to, to serve and to worship and to give. But as we journey together toward the Resurrection Sunday, my hope is, is that we will reconsider what we make space for and that, in fact, we will make space for God in this season. And I think considering these seven words that we're going to share together will, will help us make that space. And so this morning, I want to start with one little word, the word no. That used to be your favorite word. Did you know that? When you were two years old, everything was no, no, no. And you delighted in that word. That was your favorite word. You understood there was power in that word. But here's what happened. Over time, you learned that people like you better if you say yes than if you say no. Because we don't like it when people tell us no, and they don't like us when we say no to them. And by the way, don't ever say no to your pastor, okay? That, that should never happen. Not a good idea. But saying yes, boy, that can get us into all kinds of trouble and problems. But we do, we, we say yes to bosses and meetings and obligations and schedules and yes to stuff we are going to buy and our lives get crammed full. And so we have these decent, respectable, exhausting, fatiguing, resent-filled, godless little lives. What we need to consider is that little word, no. I've been thinking a lot about this. Do you know that Scripture has some amazing no's in its stories? Some really wonderful, amazing no's. You might recall the story of Joseph. Remember, Joseph was serving in Potiphar's household as a slave. Didn't go like he thought it would. But all of a sudden, he's given an opportunity to sleep with Potiphar's wife. And I'm sure he could have justified himself and said, well, you know, I've suffered. Things haven't worked out the way I thought I would. At least I could get this little perk here. But no, Joseph said no. He knew who he was. He knew God, who God was. He knew what he was called to do. And he said, no, I won't do such a thing. I think of the three men in the book of Daniel named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember that story. Exiles into Babylon from Israel, young men. Things hadn't gone the way they had hoped they would, certainly. But here they are, they're suffering, they're strangers in a strange land. It would be easy to say, I just want to get along, I just want to go with the flow. 
And yet when they were told to bow down to an idol, they knew who they were, they knew who God was, and they said, no, we won't do it. Nehemiah, you remember that story? He went to Jerusalem to build the wall in Jerusalem, to rebuild it. And I'll just say this, by the way, if you're trying to do something great for God, and, and we want to do something great for God, it doesn't always have to look really big. It can be, be a good parent, be a godly grandparent, be a, a, a willing volunteer using your gift in the church. But if you're trying to do something for God, listen to this, there will always be forces against you that will try to distract you from fulfilling that calling. Doing what God called you to be and do. That's the way it works. But Nehemiah, he is up on that wall, and there are some neighbors who come along and want to meet with him. It seems like a reasonable request. Most of us would have said, well, certainly, sure, no problem. But I want you to notice Nehemiah's response. He says, I am carrying on a great project and will not, cannot, come down. Nehemiah says, four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. No, 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 no. Now here's the principle I want us to grapple with this morning. If you are clear on your identity, and you are clear about your mission, you will get clear on when it is appropriate for you to say no. But you have to know who you are, who God is, and what you're called to do. Are you with me? Yes or no? Yes, okay. You can use yes there, please, okay? Now, here's where we're going with this this morning. When it comes to Lent, some of us grew up in a tradition where we learned we were supposed to say no to something during this season. So you grew up in a church where you, know, you knew that you were supposed to say no to something. How many of you grew up in, a, in, in that kind of a tradition? A few of you, especially up in this area. Okay, some of us not, but some of us did. And, and maybe you grew up in that tradition. You know you're supposed to give up something, but you're not sure why. But that's what you're supposed to do, so you do it. I think it's interesting, in 2015, this is what the study I was reading, hundreds of thousands of people reveal what they were going to give up for Lent. Does anybody want to guess what the number one object was that people gave up for Lent? Chocolate. chocolate. How did you know that? Because you gave up chocolate, right? Uh, suffering for Jesus right here. <laughs> chocolate. Second was alcohol. And interestingly enough, third was tweeting. I think that's kind of ironic that they were tweeting about giving up tweeting for Lent, but beside that, let's go on. Here's the thing. People get this idea about God, that God is really into deprivation. God really likes to see people deprived. Sometimes we, we have this this view of God that he's just kind of mean that way. He really likes it when we have to hurt, when we suffer, when we go without. What they don't realize is that it's really all about space. It's all about making space for God. 
We say no to something so we can say yes to something better. We say no to one thing so we can say yes to making space for God. And by the way, next week we'll talk about yes. God has a great yes for each of us. We were born to say yes to God. But before we get there, we need to talk about this no, because if our life is just crammed full of stuff and we are weighed down, then just to talk about adding a number, uh, another spiritual activity to your life is just going to get you more depressed, uh, weigh you down even more. It'll be heavy. It'll be crushing. That's not what I want to do. But what I do want you to see this morning is this, is that Jesus was a master of saying no. Notice that Jesus doesn't start his ministry here with a great yes. He starts his ministry with three great no's. Let me set it up for you. Jesus has been baptized. The Holy Spirit, Father, affirm who he is by coming down upon him as he experiences that moment and says, this is my beloved son. In him I am well pleased. And then Luke declares that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry now, if you've ever wondered, why do we celebrate Lent? Why do we go through that? Why do some traditions honor that? This 40-day period comes from this idea, the 40 days of Lent, from this time of Jesus in the wilderness. The devil says to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And of course, Jesus answered, it is written, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Now, one of the things we have to note here is that Jesus knows his Bible. He quotes the scripture. He has made space for God in his life. And there is a real context here, however, for us to understand what this bread alone statement means. Jesus is quoting scripture, and it's from Deuteronomy. Moses uh, that's when Moses was with Israel. You remember he had led Israel through the wilderness to the edge of the promised land. Moses is not going to be with them much longer. And so he reviews all the things that God has done. And this is what Moses says. He says, God humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, you remember that the people of Israel had gone into Egypt, first of all, because of the famine. They went into Egypt because they were hungry. And you remember that God had provided them through Joseph, who had stored up grain, and so there was plenty for them. That's, that's how they came to Egypt. But instead of learning the lesson that God provided for them, this is what they learned. They learned that the way you are going to survive is to make sure that you have more than enough. You have to have more and, and more. 
and more, then you'll be okay. Of course, we know that that's not true. So I think about Ukraine right now. Those things can go in a moment. Bank accounts, houses, freedom. But God leads them into the wilderness to teach them a spiritual and economic lesson that would need to go really deep into the souls of Israel and needs to go deep into ours. No, it's not about more. God says, I will provide for you. I want you to trust in me. And so the rabbis used to say that no one can receive the Torah, the, the word of God, without having first received manna, the care of God, the love of God. So here's the first temptation. You are what you have. The world and the devil will try to convince you of this. You are what you have. You should live by bread alone. And lots of smart people spend millions of dollars every year because they believe this about you. You are what you have. Bread alone. That's why this guy, Cookie Monster, is uh, fairly popular even today. What's his motto? See cookie, want cookie, eat cookies. You know what? That's what people believe about you. That's what the world, the devil will call you. You are nothing more than a cookie monster. Now, what is your bread? It might not be Oreos or Chip Ahoy's, although it might be. But what's your bread alone? What are you going after? What, what do you have to have? It might be a bigger bank account, bigger home, nicer car, better vacation. But you want it, and that's what you go after. But here's the problem. Miroslav Volf wrote, when we live by bread alone, there is never enough bread. Not enough when we make so much that some of it rots away. When we live by bread alone, we always want more and better bread. Turns out that the cookie doesn't quite fill us up. It turns out that the cookie isn't good enough. Let me ask you, how do we break away from this temptation to live by bread alone? Because you've got some bread, and I've got a bread, bread alone. The Bible says this. I learned to fast. Now that's an interesting word. That's a word we don't hear very often, but it's a biblical one. To fast means to temporarily refrain from consuming what I normally consume. I, I temporarily refrain from consuming what I normally would consume. Why? To make space for God in my life in order to find out what happens to my life when I stop gratifying myself with that stuff on a regular basis. Because I'll tell you, if you begin the practice of fasting, I really don't know how dependent I am on that stuff until I stop it, until I close myself off from it for just a bit. Now, let's talk about fasting then. 
Fasting, I want you to know, is not a couple of things. Fasting is not a way to get God to give you what you really, really, really want. You know, some people, again, have this idea that if you hurt enough and you hurt yourself enough and you prove how hard you, you, you are willing to go for this, that God will finally give it to you because that's just the way he is. Let me tell you, God is not that kind of person. But I'll tell you something else. Fasting is not the same as dieting. There is no how-to-look-good-naked fast in the Bible. Dieting might be a good thing. It might be an appropriate thing. But it's not about trying to make my body look better. When I fast, I'm dealing with my body as a life with appetites. Jesus comes to us and says, no, you're more than that. You're a glorious spiritual beating, being. You are not a captive to your appetites. You are made for something more glorious than gratifying them. In fact, a life with ungratified appetites is not a tragedy. It can be filled with meaning and goodness and mercy. In fact, unsatisfied appetites may, in fact, be the way to thrive. Now, how do we get there? Well, you might try fasting from food. That's a very traditional way, and it's certainly evidence here. If you've never fasted, well, skip a meal and use that time to make room for God. Maybe you want to up it a little and you go a 24-hour fast. You know, our young people do that every year as a youth group, and I just love that. They're learning that discipline, making room for God. Because along the way, you find out what role food plays in your life. I don't know about you, but man, when I've tried that, I, I feel pretty weak, and I realize how easily I get grumpy. That term hangry comes to mind and it's certainly part of my experience. And I realize, God, how much I need you and how much I let other things take the place of you in my life. But you know, there are other things that maybe we can fast from. Maybe, maybe it's shopping. Maybe you just need to take a, a season where you say, you know what, I'm not going to get anything that's not necessity just to learn what it's like not to have to have something, not to go out and buy stuff, to make room. Maybe it's an electronic fast. Man, could we use this in our society. You know, there are people who really work very hard to find ways to get us more and more connected to this device right here. You know that, right? I, I mean, there was a moment... When, when people sat around a table and someone had an idea and said, you know what, I have this great idea. When people get texts, we could have this little thing go buzz. Or now it's any notification at all, buzz. Man, a live staff meetings drive me crazy on Tuesday mornings because we put our, all of us, we put our, our phones on the, those plastic tables and all through the meeting, buzz, buzz, buzz. And, and, and of course, it's just, 
It's, it's nuts all around the room, a constant buzz. I'm going to tell you, that buzz is not from God. God is not calling you with a text. But there is a reason behind that buzz, isn't there? Because every time you hear it, you've been conditioned, haven't you? To think, I've got to find out what it is about. <laughs> I, I might miss something important. And what's ironic is, is you interrupt whatever conversation that is important right in front of you to say, I, I'm sorry, I've got to check this out. And we in, uh, end up interrupting. And so we have people who walk around buzzed all the time in church. <laughs> Didn't think you'd hear that today, did you? Listen to this. The average person, and I think it's worse because this was from 2017. In 2017, the average person looked at their phone 150 times a day. I think it's worse today. What would my life look like, friend, if instead I tuned my mind and my body toward God 150 times a day? Would this world be different? Would our church be different? Would I be different? The temptation is, believe this, that, that you are what you have. And the Bible teaches the way to resist that temptation, the spiritual practice of no, is to learn to do without. Say no. Now, the second temptation. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, the idea here is that Jesus... <laughs> You can have the most impressive resume ever. I will make you top dog. You will be achieving more than any human being has ever had. You will have amazing power and authority. You can change the world. You can rule it. If you just bow down to me. And here's the second temptation. Listen, the world wants you to believe. The devil wants you to believe. You are what you do. You are what you do so you worship your work you sacrifice your life your heart your values your family your soul on the altar of achievement you are what you have the corollary is you are what you do and by the way if you don't do much you're not much so what's the second spiritual practice of no? It's to do less. To concentrate on, I need to do less. In Scripture, doing without is called fasting. In Scripture, doing less is called Sabbath. Where we learn a discipline of taking time putting it into our regular pattern of saying for this time I'm not going to work 
I'm going to rest. I'm not going to create. I'm going to connect to the creator. I'm going to rest in the knowledge that he is in control and I don't have to be. I'm going to know that he, he's good and I wake up in a world I didn't create at all. Rest. Sabbath is saying no to the tyranny of being always in control. Jesus, who, by the way, was in control always, with Jesus, if you think about it, at the beginning of his ministry, this is fascinating to me, he go, at the beginning of his ministry, he goes into the wilderness driven by the Spirit, and for 40 days, he, he doesn't give a sermon. For 40 days, he, he doesn't draw a crowd. For 40 days, he doesn't recruit a team. For 40 days, he doesn't train a disciple. For 40 days, he never heals a disease. He doesn't write a book. He does nothing. Because it turns out that doing nothing is really important for those who have a lot to do. It is, it is a way that we recharge and remember and renew ourselves that we are God's to listen as we make space for him. But there's one last temptation here, and I'll do this quickly. The third temptation, Satan takes him to the top of the temple there in Jerusalem, the highest peak, and Satan says, jump, let everyone see you. They'll be amazed. You'll get the applause of everybody. You will be the golden boy. And it seems to me that you could say that the third temptation is this. You are what people think of you. Do you know that temptation? You are what people think of you. You are what you have. You are what you do. You are what people think of you. So be very spectacular. Please, people. Get people to approve of you because if they disapprove of you, how awful that would be. And it becomes this addiction, this slavery of worry and concern. For a moment, would you just think about Jesus? And maybe you've never heard this, but have you ever thought about how often Jesus disappointed people? really remarkable if you think about it when the crowds well you, you remember that uh, jesus feeds the five thousand. they show up the next day hey we're hungry be a bread factory go ahead do it again what does jesus say no you can have my body and they walked away disappointed and probably a little disgusted you remember the religious leaders they said, Jesus, listen, you are not living up to our standard of righteousness. You're hanging out with all these sinners and going to their parties and eating with them. Jesus, you need to stop it. And Jesus said, no. And he disappointed them. I, I love the fact that his own family, his mom and his brothers at one point comes to him and basically says, Jesus, you're acting crazy. This needs to stop. 
You need to come home and, 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 and be a carpenter. And to his own family. He says no. And he disappoints them. I, I, I think about Herod. Jesus, show me a sign. Do a miracle. Wow me. Jesus just stands there. Doesn't even say no. He does nothing. And Herod is disappointed. James and John, and if you remember the story, his mother too, asked Jesus, can we, when you sit on your throne, can I sit on your right hand or your left hand? And Jesus says no to his disciples. And they get disappointed. Do you ever think about how many people Jesus disappoints? Everybody except for the Father. So how is it that we say no to that temptation. Well, I think it's this. We learn to do without human approval. And speaking as a pastor who loves pats on the back and encouragement, this is a hard one for me. Let someone be disappointed with you and be okay with that. I got a letter earlier this week of a couple who had been a part of our church for years and we had something, some element in our worship that they didn't enjoy or appreciate a couple of weeks ago and stormed out. I wrote them a letter, explanation. They wrote me a letter and said, we're out, we're done, too much worldliness in the church. And how disappointed they were in me. There was a day when that would have bothered me and I would have been up at night worrying about how to mend it. But that day's over. Move on. I'm not going to try to fix my reputation. I'm not going to worry about whether they're gossiping to other people about the reputation of our church. I'm not even going to try to change their minds. You are not what you have. You are not what you do. And you are not what others think of you. Because this is who you are. Listen. If you have become a part of God's family, you are a son and daughter of the living God. You are a child of God. You are a person of royalty. You will live forever. When Russia is an ash heap of history, when Ukraine and the United States are gone, you will still exist. You will still live for all eternity to glorify and praise his name. You will live in splendor. That's who you are. You are a son or daughter of the living God. And remember this, my friend, that Jesus, the son of God, often said no in his life. And I'm so glad he did because at the very end of his life, you'll remember that Jesus was hanging on the cross and the crowd and the religious leaders jeered at him. You saved others. Save yourself. Come down from that cross. And Jesus, in his last death breath, said one last great, No! I will not come down. Because he loved you. And wanted to make space for you. Next week, we'll talk about great, God's great yes to the human race. We'll get there next week. But I want you to know this week, 
Where are you being called to say no? The world is going to make it hard. Do too much. Buy too much. Commit to too much. No. I'm making room for God. Because I know that he made room for me. Amen? Heavenly Father, we bring you our lives. We want you to have as much of us as we can give because you have given so very much to us. Help us not to settle for bread alone. But we long to hear your voice. We long to know that you are our provider we long to live in the splendor of being sons and daughters of the living God. And so, Lord, when the world tries to distract us, when the world tries to show us a different way and, and allows us, Lord, to, to think that we are what we have or we are what we do or we are what others might think of us, remind us of this truth, that I belong to you because of what you did on the cross. You would not come down. You said no. And the world was given an invitation to become a part of your family. During the season of Lent, Lord, I thank you for this fact that you made room for me. Made during this season, O oh Lord, I discern ways in my life to make room for you. Thank you for this truth. In Jesus' name.